Hey, this is Matt Hall, and you're listening to the Puck Fortland Podcast. Matt Hall. Hi. <laughs> it's really good to see you. Yeah, it's nice to see you. Cheers. Thanks for bringing this uh, jar of beer. What's yeah. the story on this though? Uh, I got it from the long pond. How have you been doing? The last time I saw you, we were on the river skipping rocks. Yes, I want to become a professional river rock skipper. I think that's this guy. Do you remember remember this, the whole scene that went down with the late the kayak people, the drunk girls? Yes. yes. That was the fucking best. I, she got see. Oh no, she was bleeding. They tipped over. Yeah, and we had to like go save human the, chain. Yeah. Yeah. It was we, bizarre. And we totally jumped in there, and, and you were like, uh, "You're bleeding," and she was like, "That was from like an hour ago." Like she had already took a digger. There was some serious issues going on there. This is alcohol. And the guy was really angry and... Super pissed. He was like, angry husband. And they had these very expensive inflatable kayaks that were uh, floating down the river. That's the Washugal. Well, yeah. You're going to get that on the Shug. I, I wanted them to give up and us go get the kayaks and have <laughs> some sweet kayaks. Yeah. Yeah, they could have just floated down. Um, yeah, you guys are out there with the, the Breadwinner crew. That was one of the things I want to talk about yeah. uh, before we get to your... Your art, okay. <laughs> Which I'm super excited to hear about. I was, I was um, for the last couple of years, you know, been following what you've been doing, and just yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I'm really excited about this opportunity just to get into some of the process of like, what the fuck, how how it happens, how it's done. <laughs> um, but yeah, you were you also like you're part of the breadwinner breadwinner family, right? Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like. It's kind of an extension of the Iron Cycles family in a lot of ways, and obviously Pereira Cycles, you know. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we've just been. I mean, like Ira and I have been in the house for years. You know, it must be it must be going on 10, 11, 12 years now. You know, and uh, he when he first started building bikes, I was like, yeah, let's let's do something. Like at that point, I was just racing single speed cyclocross. And I was just like, yeah, you know, I want to, I want to move up to the A's and race A's, but I, I need a geared bike. And so he was like, yeah, let's, let's put a team together. Are you still on the, uh, what are you riding at right now? What are you racing? I don't, I'm not, I don't know if I, I think I might've retired from bike Sick. racing. Nice. Yeah, That's think, really trending. Yeah. It's really trending. I think because it's so expensive and yeah. so time consuming. It's hard to do. It's hard to like be focused on art and also right. bike racing. Right. But you're still riding a lot and getting out, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll always ride bikes a lot. Yeah. Like that's kind of my jam. So I like your salsa setup. I need a setup like that. I love that. Just bike. an all around. You're not gonna get. You're not worried about it. You can go yeah. as far or as short as you want. 
Yeah, I've had that bike for about 20 years now. Oh, no, you kidding? Yeah, it's, it's lived a very long and fruitful life. So, like, I rode that bike across the U.S. Like, I took when did you do that? Tour. In 2000. What was that like? It was amazing. I it bet. Was, it was totally incredible. I did it for about six months. I camped the whole time and, and you know, slept in ditches. And What spurred that on? You just always wanted to do something like that? Yeah, I'd always, you know, like, when you're a kid, you read, like, National Geographic. Like, I used to read these National Geographic that have people doing bike tours across Australia or, like, China or something and I was always like that's the most amazing thing like I have to do that and so the idea of that kind of like long distance tour was really an incredible thing that I wanted to participate in you know so dude being able to wake up and just be like yeah I'll go as far as I want today yeah I mean that's pretty much what it was it was just you know your your uh your, your the whim of weather and your own sort of uh Ability to endure yeah. in a lot of ways. It's nice. Bike touring is the best. Where did you end up? Where did you go coast to coast? Where'd you stop? I went from Portland to Brunswick, Georgia. Mm. It was, it was that nice. sounds gorgeous. Yeah, it was incredible. It was so nice. Yeah. Was, I've taken a, a motorcycle from like Denver to New Hampshire. Totally. I did it in like three days. I did it like super straight. I did did you just camp the whole time? Or yeah, I basically, yeah, pulled over into like wherever was like a, a, a spot I can sort of get into the woods a little bit and then just sort of cover the bike with bush, branches and bushes yeah. and just lay down. It was basically I would ride 100 miles and then sleep a couple hours and wake up, ride 100 miles. It's pretty much what I did too. <laughs> yeah. That was really fun. Yeah, I mean, that, and the advantage of the two-wheel action is yeah. you can go pretty much anywhere. You yeah. can't camp anywhere. Yeah, it's so great. And you really do get a feel for uh, what it's like out there. I yeah. mean, TV and all that kind of stuff doesn't touch, doesn't really give you the, the true feel of what middle America is like. The expansiveness, definitely, you can't get a feel of the expansiveness. And the people, too. Yeah. I met the fucking nicest people. You're just like, what, you're going to Oh yeah. put me up? You know, if you, if you needed a place, this one family was like, yeah, we... We don't do it, but there's like, you know, a guy down the street, he's got a room, like he rents. It's like, there's still that tradition where like, I don't think Portland, I guess it's like what Airbnb is now. Yeah, in a way, but I think there's still, there's still a bit of that, um, just homey quality of people just inviting you right. to their houses. And yeah, you know, people are going to be coming through your, yeah. your area and you just, there's a guy that has a room for rent. Yeah, because really rural areas don't they don't really have hotels or anything. It's just no. people, like you're at a grocery store and you ask Joe Schmo to be like, where, you know, where do you stay? And he's like, oh, I'll call Wanda and she'll put you up for the night, you know? Which is amazing. That's awesome. There probably is a guy named Joe Schmo somewhere. Oh, there definitely is. There has to be. Well, I really like the breadwinner guys. I've been working on a while to try to get those guys to get freed up they're always so busy but we're gonna get them on the podcast too and just talk about when's the next river trip yeah i'm excited to hear that podcast i can't wait to ira's midwest and tony's you know idaho grumpiness it's it's quite the mix back <laughs> i can just let the mics run and just leave the room i can go for a ride come back just let them have at it yeah it's gonna be magical well, shout out to those guys people who are listening check out breadwinner cycles online they are great. They're one of our future sponsors. They should be. Yeah, until or vice like, versa. Just, just <laughs> put that one in there. So what's going on, man? I want we're gonna focus on some of your art. Um, I wanted to say too, you started in Klamath Falls. 
I started outside of Klamath Falls. Yeah, right on the outskirts of Klamath Falls, and um, I lived closer to a tiny town called Keno, uh -huh. which uh, if anybody knows of Klamath Falls, knows where Keno is. I know where Keno is. Yeah, the butthole of America. It's uh, <laughs> that's the, the way it says driving in. It's yeah, on the sign. It, uh, we did a lot of um, diving off bridges and just being bored in mm -hmm. my childhood. So. That's the first place I saw actual tumbleweed. Yeah, Isn't Klamath it? Falls is a lot of tumbleweed. Right. I, I think they're imported in because... Uh, <laughs> Artisan? Yeah. <laughs> just to give some, some reason for people to go there. Right, Does they pay a guy just to reset it and just get blowed across the road again? Yeah, it's a very, very weird place to grow up. Um, it's very... Yeah, it is out there. I spent a little time... I lived in Klamath Falls for one year. Yeah. Uh, while my roommate went to school at... Um, OAT. Yeah, the owls, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and it was cold as hell there. Super just boring, frosty. Yeah. Almost seemed like you're on the moon or something. Yeah. There's tumbleweed. But tying into some of the stuff that you do, my favorite places there were the the museum with the like Indian artifact museum. The Fable Museum, yeah. Right? That's an amazing museum. And the, the Baldwin Museum as well. Like yeah. there's, there's three, and then there's the History Museum. Yeah. Amazing. Weirdly, for a place that is so piss poor about taking care of its like cultural heritage, mm -hmm. it has these couple of amazing museums. Really have everything, yeah, just chalked out. You, you yeah. can watch the whole history. It was super cool. I really appreciated getting out of there. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate getting out of there too. I'm always thankful that I don't. I mean, I don't want to like bash it online or anything, but it's, no, no, yeah. There's a reason why people leave. Yeah, it's very it's very um, isolated. It's extremely economically um, depressed. It, there's a lot of like all of my family was you know like mill workers and uh, they worked in the lumber industry and just generations and it's just as that died their entire economy just collapsed. Mm -hmm. and I mean that's why it's like the meth capital of Oregon. Yeah, that sucks when you get into that aspect of it. The drugs. Yeah. There's that cool riverboat though. There's the the riverboat restaurant and bar you can go out and cruise around. Yeah, that's probably a little after my my uh, my moment in climate. But you got out of there like '97 or something like that. Yeah, I uh, came to Portland in '97 um, to go to school, to go to art school. And where, uh, where did you go to school? I went to PNCA. At mm -hmm. that time, it was called the Museum School. Um, it was actually connected to the art museum. Uh, and yeah, it was nice. I went to school and then, uh, for a few years then I couldn't afford it anymore. So it's an art school dropout, which is always, always a good, it's yeah. so Portland. Yeah. It's very Portland. My life, my life is basically the definition of, of Portland <laughs> life, which is pretty funny. Like I ride bikes around for school dropout. And, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I laugh at the caricature of who I am. In relation to how everybody thinks of Portland. Yeah, right? Yeah. You fit right in there. <sighs> it's awful. Well, we're all laughing with you, not at you. <laughs> Sorry, no. Oh, that's really nice when that refrigerator turns off. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out what that background noise was. Yeah, it's just the fridge just heating the whole house up, trying to keep like one half pack of eggs cold in there. That's all that's in there in a yeah, case over near. Yeah. So what's going on with your art? Like you, you do... Um, the word that I looked up, re, recontextualization, yeah, of natural euphemera. 
Yeah, so... Um, Define that for us. So, like, ephemera is sort of the leftover detritus of things lost, right? So it's like um, anything that uh, is left over of something can be ephemera. It's basically something that disappears. So, you know, skin or um, feathers or any sort of like leftover object that has a, a sort of a temporal quality mm -hmm. is, is, how you, is how in my mind I define ephemera. And so the recontextualization idea is that the, the body as a corpse, let's say when you find a body, is ephemeral. It doesn't stay the way that you see it. Like if you find a dead bird, let's say, it, it might look really beautiful and you might be like, wow, there's, it has this amazing quality of color and shape and stillness. But the problem with that is it won't stay that way. And I think there's something really interesting about trying to reshape that narrative where you can make it stay that way in some manner. And you can make that stillness and you can make that idea of the momentary um, connection with life that you see in that, you can hold on to that a little mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, a, that's kind of the... And recontextualization, recontextualization in, in sort of the sense of um, that the animal isn't really the end meaning of the pieces. Mm -hmm. For instance, you know, you might have a cat and a cat has a whole slew of meanings in the sense of an actual cat, but a cat also has a lot of cultural meaning and a cat has a lot of emotional meaning and also the physical body has meaning and the movement has meaning and so taking the body and making it into something else and trying to tell a story or create a narrative with that is, is really important. What was your first, uh, your very first project that you, when you picked it up or when you got this sort of premise to be like, this is, this is sort of the path I'm going to go down. When did that start? Well, I mean, I've always been really interested in sort of like, like taxidermy and natural history mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Like science is really interesting to me and mm -hmm. sort of a, sort of a novice way. I, I like that idea of not sort of knowing, um, the real answers to things so that you can kind of make up ideas. I think that sort of halfway understanding is really powerful in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You can come up with very strange, disconnected um, pieces of the world and put them together in your own way. And so I guess my first specific one was that my ex and I had found this um, she had walked outside of our house and she found this crow that had just died and it had fallen from the roof. And she's like, she ran in and she's like, oh my gosh, you have to come out and check out this crow that's dead out here. And so we ran out there and we stood there looking at this dead crow that literally just died like yeah. seconds earlier, yeah. like, you know, killed by disease or whatever. And um, she looked at me and she's like, who's going to cut it open? Because we knew, both of us yeah. knew fundamentally that someone had to do this. Right. Like, it was just, like, understood. Right. What's the cause? Are you, like, you're going to find out what's in there? Like, I don't even know if it was what's the cause. It was just, like, that there's this, 
Yeah, that you needed to understand the mystery of it in right. a way. And you needed to sort of... Um, sort of... Were you looking for anything like specifically? No, people, not at like all. People like now, I would imagine, I would be interested in doing that to be like, I wonder if, how much plastics it ate. Sure, Because you sure. always see stuff like that now. It's like, oh, plastics are in birds and everything. Yeah, and I find stuff, weird stuff like that all the time with like the roadkill. Um, but no, it was really just uh, sort of getting deeper into the mystery. I think that's something that is really interesting. Yeah. The idea that an unknowable thing is knowable in some way if you're just willing to go there. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna, and also saving, like the idea of saving is, it's like this magpie tendency where you want to like collect objects. Mm -hmm. I think it's very, it's very common amongst artistic people. They want to save everything for some weird reason. And so we had this crow and I, I was like, I'll do it. Like, why not? So I get some gloves on and I decided I would try to, to like mummify it in this weird way, like Egyptian mummy uh -huh, style. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and it was needless to say a dismal failure, but, um, and then that got me interested in this sort of thread of saying like, well, maybe this is a way that I can explain a lot of other ideas that mm -hmm. come to me. So sort of wet your beak. Yeah, and also just like it connects a lot with how I grew up. Like I grew up on a farm, so you know, on a farm you see a lot of death. You see a lot of um, you see animals die all the time. Like we would, you know, animals would die in the field, and we would go poke them with sticks. Like I have a bunch of siblings, so we would you know play out, and it's just it's just something we were used to. Right, it's a natural interest in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, do you get into um, how far down the road do you go with the? Would you call it like the macabre or like like? Are you fascinated with with death or fascinated with life or is that a big part of like some of the theories behind your pieces or is that just completely? Well, because why I ask is because when I look at it, I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's like just super into. Like dead stuff. Like if he's like got like Morrissey posters all over his room and stuff. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think a lot of people get that, which is really, f I mean, not funny. It's understandable in a way, right. but that's well, that's like where you go to visually, or if you're not a part of it or not thinking, other than just what you get from like face value. You're like, oh, that's sort of, because your pieces for those of you who are listening are like amazing and I totally you know like I'm so excited for everyone that's listening to this that they're going to go like look at a lot of your art because you do a lot of different things like texturally or positioning and different animals like whatever you're getting uh, and you you do you not only do um, like the taxidermy style stuff with animals but you do your drawings and your sketches too man I really totally. I like those a lot those are a little those they're completely different too like you have two separate styles of like you're, you know, multifaceted artist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would not say that I am obsessed or compelled by death being. Well, that's good. I feel more comfortable now. <laughs> I think, you know, it's it's like every a lot of people. That's the first thing they pick up, but in a lot of ways, the animals, the corpse, acts is just. A material to make meaning yeah like paint is a material to make meaning exactly it's just a medium and you know we I think as like creative people I think all people fundamentally want 
to express themselves in some way. And in general, culturally, our language, our given language, is fairly inadequate for that. Sure. And so we have to take symbols from around us to sort of create a narrative. And, and that narrative, those symbols have to be, have to connect to the past, the present, and the future. And for me, the animals and the corpses and the dying of animals connects those things. It connects me to my past, which is growing up on a farm and seeing a lot of dead animals and being interested in science and, you know, uh, natural history and that sort of thing. It connects me to the present because I'm working and I have to do this very visceral thing, which is actually deal with the bodies, which is very difficult. And then it connects me with the future, which is the end product of the work and also the inevitability that we also decompose and die. Mm -hmm. We can't, we can't uh, like escape from that, you know, so. You're going pretty deep on me right now. I mean, that's... But it is, you're, you're, you're there, you're, that sums it up perfectly. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think about with the work. Like, I don't really see it as being macabre. No, no, no. In the least bit. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people get that, and I definitely get a lot of uh, people being like, will you, you know, can I donate my body to you when I die? You know, and I'm like, yeah, you're not really picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I'm just, it's literally like paint to me. Like this, it's just, the end product, if, if the narrative that I understood could be explained with different material, then I would explain it with different material. It just so happens that the bodies work for me and mm-hmm. they make sense to me and for some reason it makes sense to me i personally get into when i look at your work um images of your work i haven't seen any show do you have any shows coming up or anything yeah i have a show april 22nd oh awesome paxton gate actually oh man so yeah, you've um, worked with those in the past and those guys before also have you? yeah they are really great um andy and susan are wonderful they're where really, is that located really nice it's on mississippi um it's in the main mm-hmm you know, stretch of Mississippi. I think it's probably between Skidmore and Shaver. Um, yeah, they're great. It's a great store. You guys should check it out. Yeah. It's April 22nd. Oh, I'm excited week. to go check it out. Yeah. I was going to go down the road of when I see you, when I see your work working with the skeletons and working with um, repositioning whatever you're working with. Um, when I move past like the, okay, it's a dead, you know, something that's like not alive, but you're like reanimating it. Sure. I get into like, um, I see like an architectural side where you, how you have to, cause you go in and clean things up and make some things like, like you're saying, like sometimes there's, it's half skeleton and then, and then the feathers, like you like rebuild it. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I get into that really, that, um, the biological part or like how you're putting back together something and pinning it and keeping it very true to its original form. Yeah. Um, which brings which brings me into like that like building or that meticulous like setting the stage or painting the picture with with something that's like a three D image, you know. Yeah, I um, I was talking with Madeline, my uh, lady friend, about this the other day. We were talking about how you know I went to school for painting, like I was a painting major, and what I really wanted to do was these like big physical things. And one of the sh- things that I struggled with was that a lot of times when you're painting, you're just doing these like really small paintings. 
but I really wanted to do these giant, like, you know, using pieces of wood to, like, make giant paintings and really get physical into it because I understood the physicality of it. And it's kind of ironic that now I do this, like, highly meticulous, really slow, it's very slow and sort of, uh, you know, painfully, like, detailed in a lot of ways because y you only have basically one chance to make the thing right. Mm -hmm. You know, you only have one object, like when you have the the bones, because you just have a pile of bones, they have to be, there's a furniture yeah. in between. Right. And so I have to plan a lot before they're put together because there's only so many times you can shift that plan before you just ruin the actual mm -hmm. material, the, the paint, if you will, which is the bones. Mm -hmm. You know, once that material is used up, it's gone. Right. And you have to start over with a new animal, which can be really frustrating. Oh, I imagine. So, because, you know, I mean, there are a dime a dozen. Well, when do you, where do you get your materials from? How does that process work and what do you do to... Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you um, have to turn down a lot of things or people just be like, hey, I brought you this? People, <laughs> I have a lot of very lovely patient friends who uh, bring me things or save things for me in their freezers, which is always funny and uh, amusing. Um, yeah, I have a freezer in my studio and um, I keep things frozen until I need them. And basically the process is I find animals or people give them to me. Sometimes they'll be people's pets or, you know, usually it's roadkill. Um, and so I get these animals whole and I have them frozen in the freezer and I take one at a time out and then I'll... I have to skin it, so I take all the skin off. Um, I have to eviscerate it, so I take all the um, guts and so forth out. Uh, I, I often save things, like I'll save, it, like with birds, I'll save the feathers, although I don't, I don't really use birds that much because of the Migratory Bird Act. Mostly I just, if I do use birds, it'll be like chickens or mm -hmm. you know domestic um, type birds because you can't really use other types of birds. But um, why is that? Talk about that a little bit. What is the, what is, the, there's like laws protecting those animals yeah, from, it's, from being redisplayed or like? Yeah, it's this idea about trying to um, reduce commerce in bird feathers and uh, bird okay. ephemera, you know, back to that ephemera idea. It's like things that disappear. It's trying to reduce commerce so people don't kill all the birds in the world because they're beautiful, right? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Um, so I have to take all the guts out. Then I have to um, take as much of the muscle tissue off as possible. Um, and at that point, I have sort of this carcass that's put into a tank of water. And the tank of water is heated with a fish tank heater, and it builds up. <laughs> it, it is, I fucking love this, dude. I, know, I this love is getting it so really, much. It's getting really macabre. But it's, um, and then that tank of water heats up, basically, and over a period of, of uh, several months, the bacteria develops so much in there that it uh, the whole skeleton will fall apart. It eats away at the flesh, basically. Right, like a slow cooker. Yeah, like a slow cooker. It is literally the worst, most horrible foul smell you could ever imagine. Picture like a Breaking Bad, like drum, 50-gallon drum, like some yellow protective rubber suit. Oh, it's so... I actually... Klamath Falls. It's all coming together. Yeah, yeah Klamath Falls, exactly. I'm picking <laughs> meth and... Um, I luckily know, uh, I got hooked up with one of the biologists at PSU and I'm able to work in their lab a lot. Oh, great. So it's really nice because the smell is so bad that 
that uh, they have a special lab just for that process that they actually use on uh, marine mammals. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, sort of like a sealed sort of container or something where you could put your hands through the gloves, or you just, uh, or no, it's just like highly ventilated. It's and... a room that has like a uh, restaurant vent, and right. I mean, the room rate. itself smells. It's, I can't even describe. I mean, we should have a, like a special smell button that people just push because <laughs> it would ruin everyone's night. Um, oh, I can imagine it's so bad, it's it's so 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 bad, but. The end process is you get these this pile of bones that's disconnected from itself, and then those that pile gets degreased. So I put that in another tank of water, and then a couple more weeks go by where there's a degreasing solution of like soap and so forth, and then I just have a pile of um, white bones that yeah, you know I bleach them or whatever, mm-hmm. put them in hydrogen peroxide, makes them white, and then those then at that point I can pretty much start working on it. So it's a long process to get to the art material. How much research or how long have you been studying like uh, the, the body of animals? Like I'd imagine you have to, yeah, I'd, after having a pile of all these bones, I'd have to go back and be like, now how is this thing sort of, Yeah, yeah. what was it originally? Like what bones are what? You must have learned along the way a ton about. Totally, it's a lot of shooting from the hip and fucking up. It's a that's lot anything. of, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a lot of, yeah, it is anything. And that's kind of, uh, I think that's part of the process is it's one of the things that I wish I could articulate more in my actual art was the process of learning because I think it's really important to me individually and it's really cathartic to me in this way that I am sort of learning this thing on my own that that means something and I don't, that doesn't necessarily come through in the finished pieces. They sort of are objects that, that are separated from that. Um, but I, w- I do think that's important because I do often have to like look things up. I have to, you know, figure out how these things are put together and it's, you know, it's difficult. But after a period of time, I mean, certain, like most mammals are fundamentally the same. Mm-hmm. Birds are fundamentally the same. You figure it out, you know. Yeah. Do you have any artists that you follow or that are doing things that inspire you that sort of keep you keep you on your like game where you're like, oh, I'm gonna, I want to keep upping my my skills? Or do you, in that same realm, or do you follow a different artist or different people that um, in a totally different sort of vein? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of artists. I mean, I'm very interested in art and I'm interested in art history. And I mean, obviously, there's a lot of artists that are inspirational to me, but I try not to look too much at art. I think it's it's too easy to become, to like, yeah. become derivative. I, yeah. I think it's very easy. I try to, I look at science things a lot. Okay. There's a lot of like anatomical science that mm-hmm. I'm very interested in. The current work that I'm going to be showing at Paxton Gate on in, at the end of April is um, very influenced by a series of wax anatomical sculptures that I saw at the um, Spicola in um, Florence, Italy, uh, this amazing natural history museum. I believe it's the oldest natural history museum in the world, maybe just in Italy, but um, there are these incredible wax anatomical sculptures and uh, all wax? All wax, and there are the people listening to this should look up the Spicola and see these uh, these 
anatomy pieces. They were basically made to show students what the body looked like inside because there was no photographs at the time. And the only way to see was cadavers, obviously, and a cadaver rots. And there, they were so amazing. They were so inspirational. We, I went to the Spicola and I also went in Bologna to the uh, Palazzo Poggi, which has a lot of, um, a lot of paper mache anatomy sculptures and they were also I the, the work that I do the work that I'm that I'm going to show is very much influenced by that there's a lot of um there's a lot of stuff that relates to that is so it mostly sculptures or is there sketches in it's, it's going to be all sculptures it's a fairly small show there's only six pieces um it's all sculptures because Paxingate doesn't really have a lot of room to show drawings as well I might my next show I might have more drawings um but it's all going to be sculptures and uh they have a lot of a lot more than just the skeletons. There's a lot of extra involved stuff. I don't want to give too much away, but I think if people have seen the photos of the box full of rats, I think um, it's not what it seems. It appears to be something, but it's not necessarily what it seems. And that's, uh, yeah, it's very repulsive, but it's also like not exactly what it seems. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you, do you have like a, um, where do you keep all your things? Like, what do you do with your art once you've made it? You must have a ton around your, your house. Just I, I sell it. Surprisingly. Great, <laughs> surprisingly, great answer. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, I mean, I, I don't, I can't make a whole lot of it because it's pretty time consuming and difficult to make. But I'm lucky that it does often sell, which is good. I don't really have a lot of the pieces left over. A lot of the pieces have been bought by people who are interested in that kind oh, of Oh, yeah. Your stuff's amazing. I love it. Um, thank you. I, I, I'm happy that it sells. I sometimes it's a fine line between figuring out how expensive to sell it for and and the mm -hmm. the time that it takes to make it, which is you know never going to balance out. I don't think. <laughs> do you think uh, you would uh, hire somebody to do your body when you die? To no, I mean do that's, you do in your own. Yeah, in, that's in the like thing. A box See, on like I a, don't really care on like, an old Pereira. Maybe yeah. <laughs> It'll be the like a moving piece. Yeah, it'll be like a, it'll be one of the um, the breadwinners, like the early Raphael ones that have Pereira on one side and I Ryan. Yeah, there. the fifty fifty can be half skin, half bones. And yeah, and I'll just be it'll be like my skin on the iris side, my bones on the Pereira side. That's a great sketch, actually. That'd be I think you've I, done some uh, some sketches and stuff for a, a couple different companies in Portland too. I've seen yeah. some of your work with for like uh, well. You, you did some stuff with the Honor Journal. You've done some stuff with Rafa. Yeah. Done. Talk a little bit about like what you do on that end. Well, I, I tried to pick up illustration jobs so I can eat, <laughs> which is nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, and occasionally I have friends who, um, you know, who get me jobs, which is really nice. Uh, yeah, I've done some illustrations for both of those companies, and I've done some other work. Like we just finished, Ira and I just finished a really great zine for... Um, Travel Portland, which was really oh, cool, yeah. about riding bikes in the rain. Um, a lot of them tend to be bike companies, which kind of, I don't know, I guess I, I would like to branch out, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, hang out with different people. I know, I gotta get a new new friend group. My yeah, good luck so, with that. My friends are so great, though. How am I gonna find better people? Right? Right, it's impossible. And they're cyclists. That's a big part of this, uh, this podcast, is like trying to, I, like, the some of my, the most common threads I'm like another cycling person but totally yeah but then it's like you get into well it's like just spoke with uh, 
like Dave Alderbase from Olympia Beer. Yeah. He's way into cycling. It's like we start with cycling and it's like, oh, and also he's like pushing his new gig with beer. Yeah. You get into like um, uh, Jocelyn Gowdy. She was just on too. These are a couple podcasts that are coming up here. Biking again, like Portland Design Works. And then you just get into like camping and other fun stuff, you know? So we all have this biking thread, but we all do like way different stuff. And I think that's part of the appeal of that community is that everyone does this singular thing that they can connect with. But then when you're like, you know, on these, extre- you know, you're on like an eight hour bike ride with someone, you're like, well, we're done talking about bikes yeah. after the first half hour. And then you're like, well, let's talk about every single other thing. Right. I mean, that's really how Ira and I, like, that's how we became such close friends is like, we can shoot the shit for hours about all kinds of philosophical issues and, you know, have little uh, conferences over, about life and, you know, our various crises and so forth. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty nice. It's, it's pretty wonderful. Yeah, it's amazing. We used to do movie night. We sort of stopped it here for a little bit. We would do man, mandate, go see a movie, barely talk, <sighs> and just watch it. And be like, at the end, the drive home would be like a super breakdown. And be like, I don't believe it. Like, be, like high fives and just be like, yeah. And we'd be like, we'll see you next time. Like that, I would have never, like, we won't watch that movie ever again. Yeah, I mean, but I love that dynamic of different people where you just like you can find something that you're both into, and you don't necessarily need to like overthink it. But just be like, yeah, we're doing that. Let's just go check it out. Yeah, and I think it, it's nice to sort of in a way specifically to go back to like cycling or that to have an activity that you can do that separates you from everything else and you can be like well now we just got to talk about every other issue in our lives or other other parts of our lives it's really nice it's very cathartic it's it's pretty um it's pretty special i think people don't realize how great it is you know i think there's a lot of sentiment surrounding cycling especially now about buying into what you need and what you have to have to be cool and the you know the right i don't know gear and stuff and it's it's kind of unfortunate because i think there's a lot to be said about the community aspect of it that's actually really wonderful yeah you know? and portland has such a broad spectrum too that you hit you inherently you're going to hit every kind of of cyclists and every kind of person within that scope yeah and that's pretty pretty awesome now, are you just doing your art for work? Do you have a day job or anything? I um, I work in a brewery. Longfuck Brewery. I don't want to plug them, but I'm going to. <laughs> That's fine. I, it's a, it's, this is super tasty beer. Yeah, though. it's a good beer. It's a seasonal. We just got out. Um, I work in a brewery a few nights a week. Um, I would... I mean, I think it's good for me because I'm inherently kind of a... a I, I'm not super social. I don't know if you've noticed that about me yet. It's only the second time I've seen you. <laughs> no, you've seen me. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, I'm just not, like, the most... I, I need something to pull me out of my, like, introverted qualities. So working in a, a restaurant, having to, like, talk to people is probably healthy for right. me. But... At least um, you're getting paid to do it, too. You're like, well, I'm getting paid. Yeah, and I think in a weird way, like, having that other gig allows me to make art that is um, separated from commerce a little bit uh-huh. it allows me a little more room I mean I would always like I always like to make more money doing art I always like to make it more a bigger part of my life um, but it is nice to not be completely um, connected to that where 
I have to make the thing that people want because there are things that I know that if I just make that thing, it's like, like, especially with the new work, it's totally, it's, it's not totally different than the old work, but it is a lot different and it may not be as, um, commercial in a lot of ways. Mm. And I'm just, I'm curious to see how the response to it, because I mean, I'm, you know, you, a lot of times you work in a vacuum. I'm working in a studio all the time. I work on it for, you know, a year and a half or whatever. I don't know how people will see it. Mm-hmm. So when I bring it out as a show, I'm like, uh, you know, I hope people like it. But also, I could very easily just keep repeating what sold before. But that's not really interesting. Right. And because my income isn't wholly derived from that, it allows me a lot of room to just make really what interests me. And I think that'll... That, I think that helps me grow as an artist. Yeah, that absolutely does. And tying back to what we were talking about, how uh, my question about what artists that you like or what do you follow that sort of inspires you, um, and your and your response of that you don't really necessarily follow too many things or um, sort of pull from other artists. Well, you mentioned that the Wax Museum, but that's like such a big piece that like struck you. I have the same feeling with this podcast. It's very. It's, I want to do it. Like, yeah. It has no, there's no income coming in that's like supporting me. You know, I've gotten a couple of sponsors here and there, some people that want to like help support a couple episodes. Um, but time and time again, I'll get asked the question like, what are your favorite podcasts? Like, who are you listening to? And I do have some that I listen to, but um, when I get suggestions of people be like, you know what you should do? You should listen to this one and, and do this. And I always get that like gut feeling of like, I really don't, not that I'm not interested in listening to new things, but I don't want to start like trying to recopy something or be like, oh, that works. I'll just try that and like post something out. Although this podcast might sound similar to other things or like the concept isn't necessarily unique. Other than sure, it's, sure. it's just, you know, people in Portland, that's unique. You know, it's just like all of us here. Yeah. You know, the concept of just taking people who I know and I'm interested in and then going from there, you can't get any more unique than that. Yeah, I mean, you're basically doing, I mean, you're basically doing a really simple, like, idea, but you're pushing sort of a specificity into it, right? Where you're saying, like, here's this idea where I'm picking out people that I know are are from this specific region, not necessarily from, but who live in this specific region, and I'm going to talk to them. I mean, who else is doing that thing, right? Because that region is very specific. Right. Um, and I agree. I think it's probably not good to listen to a whole lot of interview podcasts because it's just too easy to emulate. It's too easy to steal. It's too, and I don't think stealing's bad. Like I think especially like with art and writing and you know any creative act. I think stealing is actually really important. I think that's something we should all do. You should steal everything, mm-hmm. but you have to make sure that when you're stealing stuff, you're stealing from the right things. You're stealing things that um, you can separate from their original source a little bit. Right. You know, which is which is sort of what I'm talking about, about the idea of looking at, like, science. Like, I look at a lot of old science photos. I look at, like, old science objects. I think that's really fascinating. Like, old science models, that kind of stuff. Like, um, cabinets of curiosity, obviously, are really um, inspirational. Because I think... In that way, I can steal sort of freely because it doesn't connect necessarily with the history of art. And by not necessarily 
stealing directly from the history of art, it leaves me a lot more room to talk about what I want to talk about. Whereas if I do steal, like if I'm like, if I want to make a painting, I obviously have to steal from art, right? But if I want to make these objects, these assemblages, I can steal from a whole variety of things. I think sculpture is a lot more, mm, right. a lot more liberal in that way. You're, you're able to, um, you're able to pull from more sources. You know, it's like Duchamp making the, the toilet, like taking a ready-made, he, t he basically takes a toilet and he puts his, you know, arm up on it. And it's like, that's him saying you can take from anything, but that's a sculpture, not a painting. You know, a painting requires you to steal from visual source. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. You know, and I think with like podcasts, like obviously if you start listening to podcasts in the limited scope of what's been made in the podcast world, you're inevitably going to just ape someone else. And you don't want to do that. You want your own thing. Well, I like taking things or just, I get inspired by a lot of different shows or different ideas and seeing like, um, a podcast as this medium, like I'm so excited because it is really, it truly is like the newest, if it's not new technology, it's like the radio, which yeah. is really almost like the first sort of broadcast, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, but where it's going and, and how much it's taking off or just like, I'm pretty convinced that like Instagram or like Facebook or there's going to be, everyone will have a podcast like you'll you'll be able, like we're broadcasting on periscope right now oh yeah you sort of forget like you had, <laughs> people are there do you go down the periscope thing at all i or? don't go down the periscope wormhole i i definitely listen to podcasts. it's out of fucking control it? it's nuts see dude. i'm probably gonna just do that now well you should check it out but i i fucking hate it like i it's like steals all your time you're just like eight hours later uh, not even that i i I sort of like um, get hooked on being like, cause you can look at the whole world at any time of the day. Like yeah. you can go, it's morning in like Bali. Like yeah. you can look and like find a podcast and turn it on. And you're just, you can be one-on-one -on -one with somebody that's like, oh, hello, Puck Portland. And you're like, oh shit. And then you, they can't see you, but they're just answering your questions. But when you get into like looking at how like the kids are doing it and when you start finding like, punk ass fucking 14 year olds just yeah. being like talking shit and being like fuck you nigga fuck you and you're like you're a fucking white kid down in like Salem just like just saying like oh shoot my gat like just kids that don't that you just see like are the education system in America like the whole like what people glom onto like how many people don't really even open their eyes and aren't individuals they're they're actually stealing their entire like existence existence on just media or like what they think is the way it is and you go one periscope to the other and you just see... That change, that yeah. constant like, fluctuation. Yeah. And I like the, the, the dichotomy of like checking guys out and being like, oh, I'm going to check these like Saudi Arabian dudes out, you know? Yeah. Even though you can't understand them, you're just getting, seeing what they're doing and like hearing their intonations. And then uh, you see people from... What's amazing to me is people from all over the world speak English. Yeah, And yeah, I don't really speak, a, a, you know, like I can speak Spanish, but... Um, and you can start talking to them in English and then they switch right away and they're like, oh, hello, Portland, Oregon, I've been there before. And you're like, holy shit, these people are way smarter than me. Yeah. Um, but then you get into like, you see a female or like a girl on there. And as soon as you turn it on, it's just like, show your tits. Like all the like, cause you can like chat. You can like see whatever. And then you just see about. how like young men or men are like, just like trying to talk to people or just like what is important to them is just like. There's no real conversation other than just being like, yeah, but what about your boobs? And like all this stuff. And it was like, personally, it like drives me crazy. Like I get so pissed. Like how do you change the world? Or like, what's the step to change? Like just 
getting at it just talking like that like making it more meaningful yeah. but, but then it always boils down to boobs anyway you're like oh well well it boils down to like the visceral pleasures of life right, right. which are like boobs and I don't know assholes and shit like yeah like who you know I mean that's what people are right, so that's what Periscope is great for god it sounds amazing I'm gonna have to that's I don't want to do this because I already feel like the internet is absorbing my whole life it really does <sighs> Yeah, we're attached. And now we're like, with this Periscope thing, you're just in, you're just staring into this phone, but you're, you're now you're reaching and you're like doing a live show constantly. So yeah. I'm really interested to see like how that, if the, um, what it, you know, not what's next or just how things mold or what, hopefully the, if someone pulls the plug and everything just goes down for a bit, it's like, Boo, there's nothing. Yeah. Do you think that that like overwhelming sort of, sort of swath of information that we suffer from is actually kind of too much. Like we can't develop our own creativity. We can't develop our own ideas about things because we're just bombarded constantly with uh, knowledge and, mm-hmm. and all these different like little pieces of ideas. We can't like take the time to be, to think about a thing and to really articulate what interests us about a thing. We're just sort of overwhelmed, you know? Yeah. Or the people that are taking the time and then posting that stuff on social media, like, for some reason, like, now that we're so sort of dulled down and we don't, we lose the capability of, like, turning off and going, finding it for ourselves, we just, like, keep swiping and scrolling until we're like, I like that. Like, oh, that's an emotion I like. Like, cat or, or whale or stranded thing or that we're like cop shoots a guy couldn't help it and then you start going down either positive or negative like you just are force fed emotions rather than you know just taking like you know I see people take a simple picture of like a flower and you're like oh nailed it like they were outside they found it you know searching for that stuff myself that's what keeps me I feel creative or like in my head just in my day to day I'm constantly picking out things left and right where I'm like either mostly it tends to be like funny jokes or I'm always like oh sure. that's a funny thing sure. or like that's hilarious or that's that's serendipitous like that's just happened and a lot of times I'll go to take that image or like to document it and uh, I found in the, in the past couple of years because I'm just getting so sick of like constantly being on the phone or being like yeah, yeah you're always looking that at like uh, I'm keeping a lot of stuff to myself and really being like no that's just for me like no I'm not gonna like tag this moment or post this moment yeah I keep so many things for myself now that is like hugely important I think for people to realize that they and I'm hoping that people do that too because that's it when you can be like this is just one thing for me or whoever you're with and not just turning around and being like oh everybody look not that that takes away from that experience but I just like being like I don't need to remove myself from the moment to take a picture and then be like oh I just missed the back end of it or the, the, the full wholehearted part of like just absorbing that time you know yeah i think i mean particularly with something like you know instagram or whatever it's it is for me like my the instagram that i have is pretty much just art based yeah so it's pretty much just like no selfies i don't see no selfies it's just like it's just like taking photos of dead things and you know like it's like a promotional thing and it's yeah it works to a certain degree maybe it doesn't work at all i don't know but um, for the most part, I don't really take photos all that much of, of experience because I want to be in that experience. I don't really want to think about trying to document it. I'm really interested in being in the experience. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, that's what 
creative work or artwork is about. It's about trying to be closer to the actual experience of yourself. Right. It's about trying to be like closer to the thing that you feel and somehow being able to uh, explain that to other people, you know, mm-hmm. trying to touch on to that. And I think in order to do that, you have to pay attention. You have to really spend time thinking about the world. And the only way to do that is to slow it down is to really slow it down, to really um, not allow the, the speed and the overwhelming information to get to you. You have to just take it one thing at a time, if that makes any sense at all. I don't know. Yeah, coming from the guy who puts squirrels in a box. And yeah, I mean, well, but, you know, but that's the thing. But that's it. Yeah, that's what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, like, that takes a lot of time and a lot of focus and a lot of thinking about that singular object and during that focus and time of thinking that I think about a lot of other things and it allows me time to um, sort of reflect on my own life and my own experiences and the things that I do and I can, I can put that into those pieces and I can say, oh, this, you know, this uh, certain image or this idea or this, the way I've placed this has meaning to me and it may not be necessarily uh, obvious to people who look at the work, they might see it, they might see totally different meaning, but I know the meaning or I feel the meaning in the end part. And that has a lot of value and that has a lot of worth. And I think that to me is really important in a lot of ways, much more than even the commerce side of the art. Like I could make the art, like you're saying, you do the podcast because you want to do the podcast. Not necessarily because it makes a lot of money or is, is you know, can be your day job or whatever. Right. Um, and I, I think that's important because you want a thing to be true and honest. And when it's that way, people will be touched by it, especially when it comes to art or writing or, you know, music. It's like those things that were touched by when you read a good book or you see a piece of art or you hear music that touches you or you feel it you feel it because it's true, because you know that whoever made it, not because it's necessarily true to you, but because it's an honest thing that comes from them. And I think so when we're making art, we have to try to be honest as much to ourselves as we can. And in that way, we'll uh, make something good because we're just honest.
Yeah. 